Well, let's turn now to a, a word from Scripture. In these last few weeks, we've been working our way through a, a sermon series we're calling the Tech Commandments. Each week, we're looking at, at the new technologies that are changing our lives. We're looking at the internet and cell phones and social media and asking, how, how are these technologies, how are these new ways of communicating changing the world around us and sometimes even changing us? How can we use these new technologies without losing our souls? And each week during this series, we've heard a, a passage from the New, New Testament letter that was written by the Apostle James. This week, we've got a special guest reader. This week, I want to introduce you to a, a new friend of mine. Pastor James Cogman is going to share our scripture reading today. Pastor James is going to read from the book of James. Pastor James is, is the new United Methodist pastor at the Bethel United Methodist Church here in the city of Flint. Let's take a moment to, to welcome Pastor James to the city of Flint, to, to congratulate him on his appointment at a phenomenal congregation that means so much to this community and to let him know how much we look forward to serving with him in years to come. All right, Pastor James, go ahead and share with us a word from the book of James. Good morning, Court Street family. It is a joy, a pleasure, and a privilege to be with each and every one of you today. I look forward to getting to know each and every one of you more, and I look forward even more to being in ministry with your amazing and phenomenal church. Now hear the word of the Lord from James, the fourth chapter, the first through the tenth verses. And it reads as follows. Those conflicts and disputes among you, where do they come from? Do they not come from your cravings that are at war within you? You want something and do not have it, so you commit murder. And you covet something and cannot obtain it, so you engage in disputes and conflicts. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly in order to spend what you get on your pleasures. Adulterers, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, Whoever wishes to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that it is for nothing that the scripture says, God yearns jealously for the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives all the more grace, therefore it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy into dejection. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Well, one thing that you might know about me is that I used to be a tuba player. I've shared with you in the past that back when I was in high school, I was, I was a tuba player. What you might not know, what I maybe haven't shared with you, is that actually back when I was in high school, I, I was a pretty good tuba player. 
As a matter of fact, at the high school that I went to, I was, I was the first chair tuba player in our band. Everybody say, ooh, everybody take a moment to be good and impressed by the fact that I was at my high school the first chair tuba player. I want you to take a moment to be impressed by that fact before I go ahead and ruin the moment by telling you that at my high school there was also only one tuba player and I was it. I was the only tuba player most of the years that I was, was in the band at my high school. But it was a good job. There were some perks that came along with being the first chair tuba player. For example, whenever our band played a piece of music that had a tuba solo in it, I was the guy who got to play the tuba solo, which would have been awesome if our band had ever played any pieces of music that called for a tuba solo. I really enjoyed being the, the first chair tuba player and, and all of the glory that came along with the position. For, for three good years, I was unrivaled and unchallenged as the first chair tuba player in our high school band. But then, the very first day of my, my senior year of high school, I went to my band class, I sat down in the chair, I started warming up my tuba, and, and suddenly, this kid walks into the room, this, this little guy, this freshman, and he was also carrying a tuba. And he walked over and he sat down beside me. He said, hi, he said, my name is Stevie and, and I play the tuba too. And for just a moment, I started to worry that maybe I was going to have some, some competition for the position of first chair tuba player. But it turned out I didn't really have anything to be worried about. Stevie hadn't been playing the tuba for very long and, and he wasn't very good, at least at, least at first. He had a, a lot of growing to do. And it was actually, it was a lot of fun having Stevie around. He was really good for my ego because he was always complimenting my technique and asking me, how did you play this and how did you do that? And Stevie and I got along just fine being the first chair and second chair tuba player in the band right up until the day when I suddenly discovered why it was that Stevie was always asking those questions about how did you play this and, and how did you do that? It turns out that Stevie was not content to be the second chair tuba player. It turns out that Stevie was gunning for my job. Now, in our high school band, there was a system that we had in place for moving up the ranks. If you weren't happy being second chair and you wanted to be first chair, every Friday, the Friday of each week, we had what we called Challenge Fridays. At the beginning of band class, the, the band director would ask, all right, is there anybody who would like to, to issue a challenge? And then anybody, anybody in the band could raise their hand and challenge any other, any other player for their chair. And both of those players would go off into another room where there was a, a microphone. And then they would both play the same piece of music and we couldn't see them, but we could hear them over the speakers in the band room. And after they had both played the same piece of music, the whole band, everybody in the band would, would vote on who played it best. Was it player A or was it player B? And then they would come back into the room and discover, discover who had won the challenge. And I will never forget the day the band director said, all right, is there anyone, is there anyone who would like to make a challenge today? And Stevie raised his hand. I couldn't believe it. I turned to him and I said, what, what are you doing? Put your hand down. You're just going to embarrass yourself. You're just going to make a, a fool of yourself. Put your hand down, I said. But Stevie, he didn't put his hand down. 
And so we both took our tubas and we went off in the other room and he played a piece of music and then I played that same piece of music and I played circles around him and we came back into the room and discovered that I had had thoroughly trounced him and then we sat back down in our first chair and second chair positions and I turned to him and I said, well, I hope that you learned your lesson. I hope, I hope that we won't have any more of this foolishness. Let's just be done with this. Pretend it never happened. But Stevie, Stevie wasn't finished. The next Sunday, the next week, the next Friday, when the band director said, is there anybody who'd like to make a challenge? Stevie's hand went up. And so we went off into the other room and I played circles around him and kept my position as first chair. And the Friday after that, and the Friday after that, and the Friday after that, he did it again and again and again. He kept challenging me over and over and over. He just wouldn't give up. And it started to eat into our relationship a little bit. It started to, started to cast a little bit of a chill over the two section back there in the marching band. And then finally, finally, there came a Friday when the band director looked out and said, is there anybody who'd like to make a challenge? And I looked over at Stevie and he kept his head down and he kept his hand down. I said, oh, good. Thank goodness. We are finally learned our lesson. And he didn't challenge me that week. And he didn't challenge me the next week. And he didn't challenge me the week after that. We went weeks and weeks without any challenges. And I said, all right, now, now the universe is back in order and, and all is well with the world. Now we can get back to, to being friends and getting along so well again. And so we went for weeks and weeks and weeks without any challenges, without a peep from Stevie. And then suddenly, completely out of the blue, one Friday, the, the band director said, well, is there anybody who'd like to make a challenge? And Stevie's hand slowly went up and I turned to him and I said, what are you doing? I said, we've been getting along so well without any of this silliness. Put your hand down. But Stevie didn't put his hand down. And so we took our tubas and we went off into the challenge room and Stevie took out a piece of music and he started playing the piece of music. And that was when I discovered what he had been doing all of those weeks that he hadn't been challenging me. That's when I discovered that Stevie had been practicing. And I mean, he had been practicing like a fiend. He had been practicing this one piece of music over and over and over again until he was able to play it flawlessly. And that is what he did that day. He played that piece of music flawlessly. And as I listened to him play, I started thinking to myself, you know, I could actually lose this challenge. I might, I might actually walk out of this room and not be the first chair tuba player anymore. When Stevie finished playing, I picked up my tuba and I started to play the, the same piece of music, but I was a little bit panicky and, and nerves started to get the best of me. And, and the best I could manage was, was a mediocre performance. Even so, even so, it was a shock when we walked into the band room and discovered that Stevie had just narrowly won the vote. He had just narrowly won the challenge. I wasn't the only one in shock. Everybody in the band, the band director was in shock and people started applauding. People started congratulating Stevie and patting him on the back. And he stood there in front of the band, just beaming with the biggest smile on his face, just soaking up all of this praise and adulation. And as I looked at him standing there smiling and basking in the applause of the entire band, something twisted and lurched inside of me. Some, some petty 
and bitter and resentful thing twisted and lurched deep down in my soul. And as I looked at him standing there with that great big smile on his face, suddenly all that I wanted to do was to wipe that smile off of his face. All that I wanted to do was to put him, put him back in his place. And then it occurred to me that there was a way that I could do that. And so before the applause had even died down, while Stevie was still basking in his moment of glory, I very slowly put up my hand and I said, and now I would like to use my challenge. And the smile evaporated from Stevie's face and I could see fear in his eyes. I could see that he had not considered that I would be able to challenge him back, but those were the rules. Everybody got one challenge every Friday. And so we turned around and we walked back into the challenge room and then I flipped through my, my music folder and I looked for a piece of music that I knew had been giving Stevie trouble all year long. I pulled out a piece of music that I knew he had never quite been able to master. And then I played that piece of music and then Stevie stumbled his way through that piece of music and we walked back out into the band room and discovered that I had easily won the challenge, that the balance of things, the order of the universe had been restored. We walked back to our chairs and, and that day it was as if something, something broke inside of Stevie. He never challenged me again after that day. Well, of course, I graduated from high school and, and Stevie stayed in the band. And so after I left, he got to be the first chair tuba player for, for three years. And he really improved. He really grew into the job. But no matter how much he improved, no matter how much better he played, he never quite managed to escape from my shadow. Every time, every time he would play, people would say, boy, Stevie really is getting better, isn't he? But do you remember that Peters kid? Boy, he could really, he could really play the tuba. A few years later, I was with some high school friends and we were telling stories and we were reminiscing about our, our high school experiences. And suddenly I happened to, to think of Stevie. And I said to my friends, I said, do you remember that little guy? You remember Stevie, that guy who was always trying to, trying to steal my chair? I wonder whatever happened to him. And it turns out somebody did know what had happened to Stevie. And I have to warn you, this is where the story is going to take a, a dark turn. Well, this story isn't going to have a happy ending. Well, just a few days after he graduated from high school, Stevie suddenly collapsed. And he was rushed to the hospital with a brain hemorrhage, but there was nothing that the doctors could do. That day, Stevie died. He never got to go to college. He never got to play in the University of Michigan marching band. He never got to dot the I out on the field in front of a crowd of 100,000 people. High school was all he got. High school band was all he got. The tuba was all he got. Now, sometimes I hear people say, I don't have any regrets. If I could go back and live my life over, there's not a single thing that I would do differently. And I got to tell you, I have a hard time relating to those people. Because when I look back over my life, there are plenty of things, plenty of moments that I regret. There are lots of moments that I, I sure wish I had a, a chance to do differently. And as I look back at my life, I realize that most of those moments, almost all of those moments were moments when, when I let the spirit of competition get the better of me. 
Moments when I let that twisting and lurching and resentful and petty and bitter thing in my soul take over and I got so caught up in, in winning that I lost sight of who I was hurting, who I was destroying with what I said and what I did. And that spirit of competition, that twisting, lurching thing that causes us to, to lose sight of what's really important and to hurt people and to destroy people, that's the spirit, that's the demonic spirit that the Apostle James is talking about in today's scripture reading. Now, 2,000 years ago, the Apostle James, the brother of Jesus, looked around the church, and as he looked around the church, this is what he saw. He saw all of these people who were always arguing, always in conflict with each other, and James started wondering, why are the followers of Jesus always arguing with each other? Why is there so much conflict in the church? And then suddenly, suddenly it came to him. Suddenly, James had a moment of insight where he realized where all of this conflict was coming from. He realized that all of this conflict is what happens when we live in a world that is constantly telling us that we are in competition with each other. Now, this conflict and this argumentation comes from living in a world that tells us that every human interaction has a winner and a loser. This, this conflict, this arguing comes from living in a world that tells us that every time somebody else is happy, every time somebody else has something good in their life, that's a little bit less good available for us to have in our life, a little less happiness available to us to have in our life. This, this spirit of competition is what causes us to, to be in conflict with each other and destroy one another, and even sometimes to, to try to murder one another. And if that was true 2,000 years ago, if that was true back in James's day, how much more is it true in the age of the internet? Now, I got my first Facebook account back in 2007. And the thing I remember the most about the first few years that I was on Facebook, the thing I remember most about those, those first few years of social media in my life was, was that I got into a lot of arguments with people. Back in those days, I would argue about anybody, got, argue about anything with anybody. I remember I got into arguments about religion. I got into arguments about politics. I got into arguments about whether or not pineapple belongs on a pizza. I remember I spent hours and hours just fighting with people on the internet. And, and as far as I know, back in those days and all of those arguments, never once did I actually change anybody's mind. Never once did I convince somebody to see things my way. And it didn't matter because there was something, there was something exhilarating. There was something addictive about, about all of that arguing on social media. What I can see now, what I couldn't see then is the reason why there's so much arguing and conflict on Facebook and, and other social media platforms. Now, the reason that we don't have conversations on social media, the reason why every conversation turns into a conflict and every conflict turns into an all-out bare-knuckle drag, drag-down fight, is that social media comes with a built-in audience. Every time we get into a conflict on social media, there's the temptation to, to play to the crowd, to play for applause, to try to destroy our opponent and get, get the, the crowd on our side. There's always, there's always a sense that, that we're not trying to share information or we're not trying to find common ground. On social media, what we have is gladiatorial combat. 
And the Apostle James, he was able to see this happening in the church 2,000 years ago. And, and when he saw this happening in the church, he, he said to the church, he said in his letter, he said, followers of Jesus, you need to understand that this, this is not God's vision for how we would relate to one another. This is not God's vision for how, how followers of Jesus would be. God did not create us so we could be in conflict with one another. God did not create us to be in competition with one another. When we enter into these conversations, when we get into arguments, he said, the thing we need to understand, and I believe that the Apostle James would say it again to us today as we log on to social media, the thing we need to understand is that the competition that matters is not with the people we're talking to. The competition that matters is the struggle, the battle we have with this twisting, lurching, spiteful, demonic thing that lives inside of us and makes us want to destroy and, and uh, dominate and to murder one another. So our battle is not against, against people, James says. Our battle is against spiritual powers that tempt us to hurt one another. But there's good news, James says. All of us experience this temptation to, to dominate and, and obliterate people when we get into arguments and conflicts with people. All of us have that thing living inside of us, James says, but there's good news. And the good news is if we can learn to recognize that twisting and lurching as it happens, if we can learn to, to recognize the stirring of that bitter, resentful, petty thing as it starts taking over our fingers as we type into the keyboard, if we can learn to recognize that impulse before we push send on that message that we want to send out there into social media land, James says, if we can just recognize it for what it is and resist it, then God will give us the power to overcome it. Resist the devil, James says, and the devil will flee. Now for me at this point in my life, re resisting the devil, resisting that twisting and lurching and, and petty thing looks like not getting into arguments with people on social media. You know, these days when I'm on social media, when I'm on Facebook, I see people say lots of things that make me angry, lots of things that cause that twisting and lurching thing to stir up inside of me. But I also recognize that if I engage with that thing, if I let that thing take over and start getting into fights with people on social media, the chance that I'm ever going to actually convince somebody is, is vanishingly small. And the chance that I'm going to say or do something that I will come to regret is almost certain. And so these days, instead of engaging people out in the open where there's a temptation to play to the crowd and score points and lob zingers, instead of doing that, when I want to enter into a conversation with somebody, I invite them to have a private conversation. I send them a personal message. And I've discovered that the messages, the, the conversations that happen away from the eyes of the crowd where nobody is clapping or, or hooting when we score points against each other. Those conversations are, are so much better and so much different in quality than the ones that happen out in the open where we're fighting with each other like gladiators. And of course, sometimes that can be frustrating because sometimes people don't want to engage. They don't respond to those invitations to conversations. Sometimes we have those good conversations and still I, I don't convince anybody to see things my way and that's okay. Because as I get older, as I have more conversations with God and with other people, I've, I've begun to realize that my mission is not to make people think the way that I think, not to make people believe the way that I believe, not to make people vote the way that I vote. More and more, I believe that, that my mission, our mission, is to make it to the end of the day with clean hands and a pure heart, 
I've discovered that I don't need to be the first chair tuba player anymore. If I can get to the end of the day and say, today I behaved like a, a friend of God, then for me that's enough. Let's pray. God, we pray that you would give us the wisdom to recognize that twisting, lurching thing that stirs inside of us and makes us, makes us reach out through the internet and try to destroy people. God, I pray that you would give us the strength to resist that thing, the confidence that you will be on our side when we do. God, we pray that, that you would give us the ability to get to the end of each day with clean hands and a pure heart, with no regrets, knowing that everything we did and everything we said, we did, we did out of love. In Jesus we pray. Amen.